Build Your Future podcast. Hi, my name is Gabe Isaac, and here is my co-host, Laura McFarlane. Uh, we are Indigenous Projects and Apprenticeship Coordinators here at JEDI, and this episode we have a guest speaker, Jenna White. Welcome, Jenna. Um, so before we get started uh, with introductions and talking a little bit more about ourselves, I would like to acknowledge that the JEDI office is located in the traditional unceded territory of the Wallistaquaic Maliseet people. This territory and all of New Brunswick are covered by the Treaties of Peace and Friendship, which Wallistaquaic, Maliseet, Mi'kmaq, and Passamaquoddy peoples first signed with the British Crown in 1725. The treaties did not deal with the surrender of lands and resources, but in fact recognized the Wallistaquaic, Maliseet, Mi'kmaq, and Passamaquoddy title and established the rules for what was to be an ongoing relationship between nations. All right, Jenna, why don't you tell us about yourself? Like, what do you do? Uh, well, I own a few businesses here in Fredericton. Oh, a few. A few, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started at the farmer's market four years ago, and I started with two small folding tables and $250. Wow. And uh, fast forward to now, and I am about to open my second restaurant. I have a Indigenous food consulting business. We just launched Sabe Coffee Co. And we have a Taste of the Atlantic, which is a festival that celebrates Indigenous cuisine and culture. Ooh, I've wanted to try the Taste of the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to go last year, but I'm going to see if I can go this year. There's three dining experiences this year, so Ooh. lots of chances. I'm looking forward to it. Um, what kind of experience do you have in the cul- culinary industry? So I had been a stay-at-home mom for quite a while before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so starting a business is something that takes a lot of capital, which is something I did not have. Mm-hmm. And being a stay-at-home mom, I didn't exactly have credit either. So, you know, you go with what you have. So I started there with what I could afford to start with. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept reinvesting into the business and kept trying to find that viability so that way I could build it out to mm-hmm. grow it. Makes sense, makes sense. Wow, that's, that must have been so much work though. It wasn't, it wasn't because we started, by starting at the farmer's market, it was one day a week, mm. right? And totally I was lucky sense. enough that I was a stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. so it was, kind of perfect for me because my kids were already in school. I waited till they were older because when they were younger, there was no way I could handle watching three toddlers within two and a half years of each other and no twins. Yeah. Right? So that on top of building a business would have seemed kind of out of reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but by starting small, I was able to show that there was a viable business there, even though I was in that niche market, because everything we do is nut-free. Yeah. Only less than 5% of the population is nut-free, so it's a very, very small amount of people. So it's a really risky thing when you get into those niche markets, because your demographic's so much smaller. Yeah. So Jenna, what made you decide to um, have that niche market, to be a nut-free um, dessertery, which we're, you're so much more than a dessertery at this oh, yes. point. Yes. Um, so we started, I started with the nut free out of necessity. Uh, about six years ago, I put my kids to bed, sat down on the couch, and ate an entire box of toffee fay, which I had done countless times before, except for I went into anaphylactic shock. Oh my oh. goodness. Yep. So out of nowhere, my life completely changed because all of a sudden I was deathly allergic to nuts. Oh, wow. 
So once that happens, you have to watch everything you eat. So when you'd go out and you'd go grocery shopping or you'd go to go eat, you'd all of a sudden see these labels everywhere saying may contain nuts or may contain traces of nuts. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you see a problem that you were completely oblivious to for ever, right? Because until you live with something like that, you don't realize what wow. what's available, yeah. which is very minimal. Yeah. Um, so that's where the nut-free aspect started from. So once I started to kind of get used to that, I ended up losing a big chunk of my eyesight, leaving me legally blind. Oh my goodness. So that all happened within a four-month period, and my children were still quite small then. So it was a really unfortunate... A devastating time in your life. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it sucked, and I yeah. totally had a pity party for a couple of years. <laughs> I, you I, know? Mean, I don't blame you, though. That, yeah. that's, a hard, that's a hard hand to be dealt. Yeah, well, I mean, we're all dealt different hands, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, you know, I, I had my pity party. I had that time to mm -hmm. kind of mourn what I thought I had lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it took that to kind of reflect on... Okay, well, I may have lost this, but it's not too late to do something. You're right. Even if you have to switch what you thought you were going to do. Talk about making uh, life work for you. Lemonade yeah. out of right. lemons, right? Yeah. Like it's you try to think there's nothing positive that's going to come out of this uh, point in my life, but your business stemmed from that. And exactly. That's pretty incredible. Right. Well, when you have kids at home watching you, they're watching you. So when you're right. struggling, they're watching how you deal with that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Took me a couple of years to realize that they were watching me do this. Oh yeah. But I eventually did. Yeah. And wanted to show them that it doesn't matter what happens, mm -hmm. you can still take control back. Mm -hmm. Right. Just out of curiosity too, like I, you can see now. That's great. How long did you lose your sight for? I can't see very well. You still. You can't have see no the... face to me. Oh, you guys goodness. are just shapes. Oh well. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you get around really well. Well. I had full eyesight for 33 years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when you see for 33 years, your brain fills in a lot of stuff. So even if okay. it, even if you lost your eyesight at two, mm -hmm. your brain's still going to try to fill in those little details. Okay. So I have low vision. Okay. I don't have a lack of, no, sorry. It's low vision. So colors, I can see colors. Yeah. I, depend highly on colors and light to be able mm -hmm. to see yeah if it's dark yeah a lot of people think i'm stuck up because i do not smile or wave at them in public i just don't see you so yeah. if you're not jumping right. up and down or yelling my name i will not know who you are i walk by my own parents regularly <laughs> <laughs> and i mean that makes a lot of sense though i won't take any offense if i see yeah, you at an don't. event and i wave and you don't know who i am yep. that's okay yep. i understand Okay, okay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right, back on to your uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. <laughs> so I know you have a lot of products. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, one of our trades kits that we have is like a bannock and a bag, and I understand that we get those from you. Like, yes. what is that kind of process like? Because I, I see you have a couple of, like, you have hot cocoa, you have brown sugar, I believe. Vanilla sugar. Vanilla sugar, okay. We have vanilla sugar, and, and we have two cake mixes oh. as well. Um, and then we have, so we have Bannock mix and we also yep. have Bannock in a bag. So one's for home use and one's for land use. Okay. So we've got, um, we're, when we built out the kitchen for the restaurant, when I opened the initial one two years ago, yeah. 
I made it a class five kitchen, which would allow me to become a producer. Oh, wow. So when you have certain, you know, when you when you start these things, you have to get proper certification and licensing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it depends on what you want to do as to what you need. Yeah. So I looked at what I was going to want to do over the next five to ten years yeah. mm -hmm. and made sure I implemented those things from the beginning so I didn't have to go back and change them. So I knew I was going to start with some of those products. We didn't start with those right away. Those mm -hmm. came, you know, last year. Yeah. So how many employees did you start with? Was it like a family? Um... I was going to say, I love that you said employees did yeah. I start with. That's amazing. Um, I'm glad you think that I started with employees. She had um, one employee. They would like to point out they are volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're volunteers. employees yeah. now yeah. <laughs> but we definitely didn't start off that way yeah. i had friends finish their night shift mm -hmm. at the hospital who wow. because they're nurses and come in and wait oh tables <laughs> why'd you bring your nurse friends because <laughs> they're awesome and oh, they volunteered oh, right like, like i'm no nurses i had minimal off. resources <laughs> nurses are awesome they are amazing uh, absolutely amazing. I don't know how they did 12 hours. <laughs> right? And then they're like, I'm going to come help you. And I'm like, okay, yay. I had a, I had a brief stint um, with, uh, there's a woman back at home mm -hmm. in Listigach, and, you know, she has her own little bakery. Yep. And when I was, like, just graduated high school, you know, I used to work at a McDonald's and I used to work at a Subway, mm -hmm. and she would hire me, pay me more than minimum wage to go and... We'd go make Indian tacos at the, at right. the powwow, or I'd drive her food to go cater or whatever. Um, so I, <laughs> I could see how busy the, you know these little businesses are. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. We yeah. do. We've got so on a daily basis we have yeah. the restaurant with the on-site bakery. Yeah. We start that by milling flour each morning to wow. make the bannock for the restaurant. So you make the flour as well. Yeah. You mill the flour as well. Yeah. We have a flour mill from Austria. It's a stone flour mill. Wow. It, yeah. You're kind of oh. like the little red hen. I don't know what that is. I don't oh, get that one. Okay, I'll have to see. You ever heard the story of the little hen where she wants someone to help her mill the oh, flour? Oh, I do remember that yeah. story. Yes, she wants her to and she nobody, nobody wants to mill the flour, and then so nobody wants the bread to mix herself. the bread. Yeah. yeah. Just a reminder that I am under thirty. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for pointing out we're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. You do cook a lot of Indigenous-inspired foods. I do. Um, where did that love of that type of cooking come from? Probably from your three generations back, right? Uh, well, I think it comes from the fact that I get to actually show pride in who I am. And that's yeah. not something that my family's been able to do for a right. long time. Yeah. So for me, it's part of me reclaiming and reconnecting. Like so... Yeah, it's funny because sometimes you can get in the kitchen and you've got these ingredients that you may never have worked with before, yeah. but yet you just know exactly what to do with them and how to make it work. So yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think it's just one of those things that it's a passion. Yes. So, you know, like we always had wild rice. We always had different things mm -hmm. growing up and we had bannock and we, you know, we had all that, but... It wasn't a huge focus. Yeah. Um, I know, too. We always grew up having fry bread and, and bannock. And 
you know, fried potatoes and stuff like that. And it never seemed to me that it was an indigenous type of meal. It was because we were a big family and that's yeah. what we needed to uh, to survive, yeah. right? And I was reading about Bannock too. Bannock's not, you know, we, we build Bannock up as if this is like uh, a cultural Bannock, but it was a necessity back then as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's something that we've taken and adapted and mm-hmm. made our own. It's yes. not, I mean, it's funny because you don't think of bread as something that is so controversial, but Bannock can be very controversial <laughs> because it was a necessity, right? It right. was, but at the same token, even though it was a necessity, when it originated, it was more of a gift than a necessity. Right. So when the Scottish fur traders first came to North America, they had a really good uh, relationship. Um, the Celtic people had a different relationship with the indigenous communities than a lot of the other ones. Um, in case you can't tell, I'm part Métis. Um, so, and part of our culture is very much Celtic. So we have some Scottish lineage in our Métis side. Mm-hmm. And the stories we were always told was when the Scottish fur traders came, they married these women. They treated these women with respect. And the women were with them throughout the summer and they, you know, they created their families. But in the winters, they went back to their mother's families. They wintered hmm. with the communities. That's how Bannock ended up in our communities is they brought it there because it was something that their wives knew that they would meant something to them. So mm-hmm. they started to make it. Mm-hmm. And then they discovered how easy it was to make. Yeah. How filling it was, mm-hmm. right? And then it was somewhat weaponized as, well, you've got Bannock, so you don't need anything else, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you go back to the roots, I think it was more about sharing culture and that necessity. So Jenna, cooking, cooking and being a chef, that's a trade. Like, what is the significance of cooking to you? And how do you feel about trades? Um, well, significance in cooking for me um, just kind of goes back to m- me being me. I love feeding people. Mm-hmm. Um, not great with emotions or touchy feely stuff, <laughs> but I'm really good at feeding people. You're sad. Here's a cake. Exactly. Yeah. You get it, right? <laughs> I mean, I've been to some family, like you know, sad family events, right? And you know, it's always been, it's always meant so much to my family to you know receive, you know, it's a slow cooker full of, you know, chili or something, you know, sorry about your loss kind of thing. And like, you know, we're here for you. It's a great way to just communicate with your community. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, a, it's a gift that keeps giving. And it's a, it's a labor of love, exactly. right? Like mm-hmm. when you take the time to make something for someone, mm-hmm. you're putting a lot of yourself into it, right? Mm-hmm. I know that sounds a yeah. little strange, but I find that most chefs are really good people like they have big hearts you Mm -hmm. couldn't do it without that aspect I don't think yeah I don't think you could stick with it for the long haul if you didn't have the passion for it Um, different places that I um, I'm also a Red Seal chef and it's different places that I've worked Um, you know you could burn out really fast if you're put in the wrong um, spot same with then if you're more destined for skilled trades and working with your hands put behind a desk is uh, it, it's painful at it times, is. right? Um, I do a lot of work from my desk now, but I also still get to get out and 
have a variety of different little cooking demonstrations and things like that. And uh, yeah, the highlight of my day, and I, I know where you're coming from, that you look out and see people, like I can yes. only imagine at the Taste of Atlantic, as it's so much stress, so much work building up to that, but when you look out and, and see the smiles and everybody, it's just a buzz in the air enjoying the meal. Um, that's so satisfying. It really is, right? Like when you know you've poured your heart into something and people mm-hmm. are actually receptive to it, it's really quite humbling. You right? don't always get that from eight-year-olds, nope. though. Oh, God, no. You'll get the mm, pushed that? aside, right? Eight-year-olds, and I was one of those eight-year-olds once upon a time. Yeah. Um, I wanted just fries and chicken fingers. Yep. You but know. you can still have fries and chicken fingers, and it can still be healthy, right? Oh, yeah. It yeah. still can be a labor yeah. of love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're cooking. If you're cooking for your family, mm-hmm. it's a labor of love, yeah. right? Absolutely. That's the way I see it. I've um, always felt that, too, like working in a, in a food truck. It's, there's no big tasks, no small tasks, but you, you have good... What did I do? <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, just where I was coming from is sort of like... Even the attention to detail and having good quality ingredients and things like this. Well, food nourishes people, right? Like the food at the core is meant to nourish Mm -hmm. us. It's meant to give us what we need, right? Mm -hmm. So as a chef, you can actually do that. You can make Mm -hmm. sure what you're feeding people is what they need, Mm -hmm. right? And for me, when I was able to take the passion for the culinary, Mm and then take the cultural passion and put them together, that's where I found my magic spot. That's mm-hmm. where I find what drives me. You know, you don't necessarily think of getting into the trades that you're going to be able to work within your culture, but you 100% can. Mm-hmm. You know, point. you can Good take point. your passion and you can have it a, an actual reflection of you. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it's the culinary trade or even if you're in carpentry and you do woodworking or welding, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you guys have entrepreneurs that are pure examples of all of those things that even though they're in those fields, they still get to work within the culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really special place to be. I like, uh, I like cooking. I'm not, I'm not a good cook. I don't, I don't really enjoy it either. It's not where I'm passionate, but, you know, as somebody who loves to eat good food, mm-hmm. it's good medicine. And you can really taste when somebody, you know, has that labor love, you know, puts the effort and the care into preparing a dish. Like, it's good medicine. You know, we we talked about, you know, the slow cooker with the chili. Like, you know, in our times, people are showing you that they care. They're nourishing you. It's nourishing. And it's not even just nutrition-wise, but, you know, it's It's your soul. Soul food. You know, I just, I appreciate. I appreciate you guys. For doing what I don't like doing. <laughs> I'm not a cook. I can I can technically cook some decent dishes, but I don't doubt it. I'm like um, I'm like good for potlucks. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to bring something to a potluck. Yep. Okay. So, Jenna, um, mm-hmm. you like me, we didn't attend Cordon Bleu Culinary School. Um, we didn't go through the traditional pathways of becoming chefs. Um, but we got there the hard way and the pathways now are so much simpler Mm -hmm. and you have somebody that's going to be apprenticing under you or is apprenticing under you Mm -hmm. Um, how much easier do you think that pathway is now compared to back when we did it I think that we have more opportunity now um, because I think 
they see the lack of support in the industries at this point. So they're trying to show people that you can build meaningful careers. It's not a job. I mean, it can be a job if that's what you want out of it. Mm-hmm. But it also is a career. It's a chance for growth in so many ways, right? Like, a lot of people think of um, commercial kitchens as toxic environments. They really don't have to be. No. I, you know, we we get comments when we go do events in other provinces when I bring my team that when we walk into a kitchen we just bring this sense of calm along with us mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but it's kind of the same as when when you think about any of the communities everybody has to work together in order for everything to work smoothly right mm-hmm. that's always been the whole purpose is to make sure everybody has what they need to thrive mm-hmm. right so you can get into these trades and not have those toxic environments. You can make your own environments. You can take those cultural pieces and show them that there's different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. So Jenna, um, what does your typical day look like at your restaurant? Like what, what does, how does your day start? You talked a little bit about milling, uh, making flour, like that's, a, how does your restaurant start out? So, um, well, we start by milling, well, actually, no. First, we turn on all the equipment, <laughs> because commercial equipment takes time to heat up. So we start by turning that on, getting all the lights on, getting coffee on, because if I don't get that soon, <laughs> it doesn't go well for anybody. Yeah. Um, once I do that, then I go and we get the flour milled for the day. Uh, next step is we get the bannock ready. Once the bannock's started, then we can get the line prepped for the day. Then we have to go to our little book and see what we have on the docket. So. Even though we do have the restaurant, we still do a ton of catering. And a lot of that catering is done during business hours, not just in the evening. So we just kind of have to manage our day. We kind of get excited when there's no catering sometimes because (laughs) it can be very busy. Mm, Overwhelming, I imagine, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say overwhelming. It's, you know, we've gotten pretty good at it. We're now at the point when people are like, oh, we need catering. And we're like, okay, great. What would you like? And they're like, oh, it's a big group. And we're like, okay. How many people? And they're like, 40. And we're like, oh, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> what would you like? are going to be okay. You're good. What do you yeah. want? <laughs> you may have anything. <laughs> and when you're, when you're running your own business, I think that diversity is really important. You have to be able to, you know, if you're only going to do one thing and you're going to work just at one restaurant, there's times that it's a real struggle. And if you don't reach out and take those other little catering events and different things like that, you know, it's hard to keep the dollar up all year round. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that was one thing that the pandemic highlighted for a lot of business owners is if you are relying on one income stream, mm-hmm. your chances aren't going to be very good. That's why we started with our baking mix line was because I knew that you know, the restaurant industry has notorious ups and downs. It goes with the economy, but not only does it do that, it actually has seasonal downtimes. I'm also located in an industrial park. I have zero foot traffic. If you don't work in the industrial park, you may not even know we're there. So I was very well aware of this going into it. So by having a product that people could purchase ahead of time and make at home, and be shipped anywhere meant we had another stream of income that we could rely on, Mm -hmm. right? 
which ended up paying off because we are now officially in Sobeys. We are oh. in over 20 Sobeys across Atlantic Canada. As of next week, we will be That's in PEI as well. <laughs> Yay! Can I get a high five? Yes, we do one high five <laughs> yes. per podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to start wrapping us up pretty soon, but uh, like, I guess what, what's your greatest accomplishment in all of this? <laughs> you've, you've accomplished so much. Like, just talking today has just been such a privilege, but... What, what would you consider the greatest? I think, honestly, this is going to sound weird, but my greatest accomplishment was getting over myself and mm-hmm. starting something. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that first step is by far the hardest. It's a leap of faith. It is. And if you can't get yourself comfortable with being uncomfortable, it's going to be a very painful journey. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uncomfortable. Never thought we'd be doing podcasts <laughs> and webinar. Right. Um, but you know what? It, it brings growth. Yeah. It, <laughs> it does, really does, right? Put yourself there and, and being uncomfortable. Yeah. It right? really does. Yeah, and, we, we've both grown a lot. And yeah. the opportunity that's out there is insane. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm listed as an Indigenous chef with the province, um, which is amazing. But that has actually taken opportunities that I get to go and put on events in other places provinces yeah. right? right i was part of the largest culinary event ever in canada right we were you know there was 11 indigenous chefs brought from all over turtle island mm-hmm. and i got to be one of them which is still kind of <laughs> mind-blowing do you want to tell us a little bit about that event <clears throat> sure it was um taste turtle island mm-hmm. and it was in uh manitoba and winnipeg this past march um i was able to bring two other indigenous chefs from new brunswick with me mm-hmm. um uh, one of which works with me on a regular basis, Darren Peter Paul, and then I brought uh, Amy Pelche with me, mm-hmm. and we went up and we completed um, four dishes, and it was a massive, massive event. So it was it was amazing, and just getting to get into the kitchen with all those other incredible Indigenous chefs was mm-hmm. an amazing opportunity. Um, we got to bring Bannock to the World Juniors this year and share Bannock with thousands of people from across the world. Mm-hmm. Like we had people with um, flags from other countries just standing <laughs> there roasting Bannock on a fire. <laughs> it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to bring Bannock to the red carpet event at the ECMAs. Like Ooh, there's, wow. I, it's so hard for me to say what I'm most proud of because mm-hmm. if yeah. I didn't take that one first step, yeah. I mean, we'd I'm, have none of them. Right. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, our biggest hurdle sometimes is ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, like you said, you got to get over yourself and you just got to get comfortable Mm -hmm. being comfortable. And like you've come uncomfortable being uncomfortable (laughs) and you've come such a long way. And like, you know, I I told this to you at our little event uh, this past week, but like, I'm so proud of you. Look at you go. And like, thank you for coming today. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, let's wrap up. Is there anything you want to, you know, let our listeners know? about um, about you or any support or just anything yeah. you'd like to share a nice message um, you got what's next for you Jenna or yeah what's next are you Oh, I wish I could tell you what's next I really really do you will all find out in August Ooh. Um, yeah. there's a secret stay tuned there's a secret stay tuned and everybody will know it doesn't matter where you are you will find out about it yeah. um, but uh, another side note uh, sorry no, I'm going to hijack this for a second and shameless plug. Um, Festival A Taste of the Atlantic, a celebration of Indigenous cuisine, is this summer. It is August 18th to 20th, and then we are having our grassroots weekend on August 26th. It includes a powwow and a smoke and fire dining experience. We are looking for volunteers. 
<laughs> anyone who is interested in being part of this, please reach out to myself or Jedi. Yeah. And um, if you're even interested in the culinary trade, even a little bit, come be part of it because you're going to work with some of the best indigenous chefs on the east coast of Canada. And there's no better people to actually ask questions to. They're all real, they're all incredible. And that's kind of how our apprenticeship program works. Um, a lot of people, we talk about um, the, the, the route of going through college and going through and getting your culinary degree in that way. Um, I agree with you 100% that to work alongside somebody as a mentor that's done this, you know, day after day and they really have a passion and they love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we do. We, uh, we get one of our apprentices set up, matched with a culinary mm -hmm. professional like yourself and they go through and they earn their blocks right, right while they're earning an income. So, unless they're volunteering, but right. still. Right, yeah. 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 may not be able to good. pay for a taste of the Atlantic yet, but hopefully as it grows. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had promised our comms team I wouldn't date these episodes, but I'm about to date these episodes. So everything Jenna just mentioned, all these events are happening in the summer of 2023. Um, so we are looking forward to that. Um, this episode should be coming out maybe mid-July-ish. Perfect. But, also, um, it'll be annual, so you'll be able to have oh, lots of chances in the future, too. Lots of chances too. in the future. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it for today. Thank you so much, Jenna, for coming in. We appreciate you being here. And, of course, we appreciate everyone for tuning in, listening, uh, mm -hmm. watching our podcast. This one is filmed this time. Yeah. Um, so if you only listen, you might actually get to watch this one sometime in the future. So, again, thank you so much. Um, and that is it. That is the Build Your Future podcast. That's episode three. And let's talk cooking. Again, thank you so much, Jenna. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks, guys.